And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network has incredible podcasts for you to check out, like Remarkable People, hosted by Guy Kawasaki. Of course, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. The Remarkable People podcast with Guy Kawasaki helps you better understand the changing world with interviews from thought leaders, legends, and iconoclast. If you are interested in business, leadership, entrepreneurship, he interviews the best of the best, leveraging connections that he's built over his career. Here's some of the episodes and interviews that he's done. He's spoken to Seth Godin, marketing god, blogger, author. He's spoken to Pat Flynn, entrepreneur, power podcaster, and popular YouTuber. He's spoken to Jen Lim, happiness evangelist and author of Beyond Happiness. He's spoken to Steve Blank, author, entrepreneur, and startup whisperer. If you want to listen to incredibly intelligent conversations with some of the most remarkable people on the planet, listen to Remarkable People podcast by Guy Kawasaki wherever you get your podcast. Today, my guest is Zach Litwack. He is a partner at Savage Ventures. Now, Savage Ventures specializes in the acquisition, turnaround, and rapid growth of established and emerging media brands from the worlds of entertainment, sports, music, online culture, and more. Zach is also a serial entrepreneur himself. 2010, he built a music company which produced a gold record and nine figures in music streams. He subsequently grew a healthcare tech company to multiple seven figures in revenue. Uh, More recently, he led marketing of the Savage portfolio company OutKick, which he scaled along with his team to seven figures per month in revenue and sold to Fox in less than one year after its launch. He is a venture capitalist and an operator. He is currently the chief marketing officer and owner of American Songwriter and Total Frat Move, whose properties reach 20 million people per month. He leads marketing, growth hacking, testing in all of Savage's portfolio companies. Some of the things that we spoke about, the importance of not only being a VC, but being an operator and how he's leveraged his experience with some of the portfolio companies to see the success that they've seen. He walks through how he started, scaled, and sold OutKick to Fox in less than one year for almost nine figures. We spoke about a general strategy that Savage Ventures takes to build a company and to plan for a successful exit from the start, as well as the strategy that Zach and his team use to scale and grow their portfolio companies after they've been highly distressed and what he does to turn them around. So let's jump right into this. A couple startup lessons, venture capital lessons, acting as an operator, as well as scaling growth lessons, all the good stuff. This is Zach Litwack, partner at Savage Ventures. Well, Scott, thanks for having me on, man. 
I've listened to a handful of episodes, so um, it's almost a humbling experience to be on this podcast. I super appreciate it. Um, so my origin story, well, I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. I picked up a guitar and thought it was cool. And honestly, I, I thought the girls thought it was cool too. And so I started practicing guitar more than working on high school assignments. And I ended up going to music school just outside of Nashville in a, a, a school called MTSU. It's in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And I decided to uh, stick around and, and ended up actually starting a company in college, a music production company with, at the time, my best friend. And we, uh, we for the first like four or five years at a college, we didn't make a single dime. I actually maxed out some credit cards and had to call my dad one time for help. And then um, like our fifth or sixth year in, we actually started having some success. We produced a couple artists that ended up doing really well. And, um, but at that time, my business partner and I had a terrible relationship. And we like, it, dude, it was so bad, it was so toxic. Like we walked in the same room as, as each other and we like couldn't speak to each other. And so that was us being young and I think being poor at communicating and honestly going through like four years of like not making any money and like, scraping pie it strains a relationship like it's, it's a start yeah. it's a it's a startup story um but uh, so i sold my share of the company like all of our royalties we owned a couple of studios to him and basically paid off debt so i was like at square one like six years into my professional life i sat on the couch for like three months i didn't really know what i wanted to do i started applying for jobs at like sony music and even though i had some top 40s back in like 2015 2016 like they didn't want to talk to me because i had no like real music business traditional music business expertise except like i figured out how to produce these artists and scale them on channels that they didn't even know about at the time like um on digital essentially and so uh thankfully my friend called me out of atlanta and said hey dude i heard you sold your company i could use some help with my app startup called split uh do you want to help me and i was like Sure, dude. Sounds fun. And so I, I jumped right back into a startup and I did that for about a year. We, it was restaurant technology. We were trying to sell to restaurants and we were trying to acquire app users to use the app within the restaurants and connect it to the point of sale. Honestly, we were we would still be too early, probably in 2021 with this tech, knowing how slow the restaurant industries have adapted technology, even through COVID. I thought they were pretty slow to do it. Um, anyways. Like I did that startup, I did another startup, did another startup, did another startup. I failed miserably what? for, How for many? four or five years. <laughs> you just ran it through all these startups. So what were these some of these ideas? Were they were they, so one they was called, ideas you can talk about? Or yeah, one was bad? called one was called My Move Book. We basically yeah. were trying to make the moving process better. And we actually had an LOI with Home Depot at one point in time to like be our one of our premier service providers. Um, that was also a two sided marketplace where we had Vendors, we were doing B2B sales, basically signing up vendors and then like moving companies, you know, utility companies, that sort of thing. And then we were going to acquire app users. That company didn't even really raise that much money. We actually self-funded it for a little while and then it fizzled out because everybody had day jobs, except for me, of course. <laughs> and then the, then I did a couple of other startups. One was called Healthcare Blocks, which is a HIPAA compliant platform as a service on top of Amazon Web Services. So you could basically launch your app on our platform, which was just basically built on top of Amazon. So this was back in like, you know, 2016, 2017, when HIPAA compliance was like still this very uh, ethereal, like hard to understand thing for everyone, honestly. And so, um, and people started developing healthcare apps. So we made it really easy to deploy apps in a HIPAA compliant manner on top of Amazon. 
that company actually raised a little bit of money. We did a little bit of revenue, but still wasn't a slam dunk. I think it's still around, although, and I, I think I have some stock, but um, I don't know where it's at. Honestly, I haven't caught up with that company in a while. Uh, let's see what else. I, there are probably five or 10. I don't think they're worth going into, but eventually I wound up working for a company here in Nashville that was a healthcare technology company called GoCheck. And we basically built this iPhone app that traditionally that could take a picture of a kid's eyes and basically give you instantaneous feedback as to whether that kid had vision problems. So it was a super innovative healthcare app. And that company was like my first like sem somewhat successful startup where we grew it from like, you know, a couple hundred K in revenue to a couple million in like just over a year and raised a good bit of money. Um, and towards the tail end of that, I was kind of getting burnt out on that company and I was kind of feeling like I could do more essentially because we just had this one product, one market. It was worldwide, but we were basically selling to pediatrics, you know, worldwide. And so I partnered up with my friend Sam to start Savage Ventures last year. And this has been my first, what I would call, no pun intended, quote unquote, success story. Very good. So you took the money. So the, the money that, uh, that you used for Savage Ventures was from that last that last success. That was the, the one that was actually successful that made you some money that allowed you to uh, basically start a, a firm that or a venture capital firm. Um, and did, what did you how did you exit that last venture that you, the, the pediatric one? We raised a Series B and I exited at that okay. point. So I raised okay. at the funding event, or excuse me, I left at the funding event. Okay, so then how, so what was the, what was the, uh, for you at least, why did you want to start funding more startups? Because at this point you've gone through about 10, you've had one success. It doesn't even sound like you took much time off. It seems like you just jumped right into now being a funding source or an investor for more startups, correct? Yeah, so Sam, my current business partner at Savage Ventures, and I actually started this company on the side back in 18. Okay. So I was still doing the healthcare startup. We started a company called My Dr. Hank, which is a direct-to-consumer pharmacy brand. We specialize in erectile dysfunction medication for seniors and have expanded the product suite a little bit, but still focused on the senior market. And that company was actually doing okay. I threw up a landing page. We found a partner to operate that company down in Florida. He built out a call center. I stood up some Facebook ads. And so we had that company at the end, like back in 18, we started that company. And then we also got an opportunity to purchase this uh, music media uh, company called American Songwriter for super cheap. Like I, I don't, I didn't have a lot of money when I started Savage Ventures, but it, it was it was a super cheap acquisition. So we had these two companies that were doing revenue that, that were profitable at the time. And then um, we, we've been scaling those companies up. In June, we got an opportunity to joint venture with this guy named Clay Travis, who's a pretty prolific like sports journalist and reporter. And he had a national uh, radio show and he had a blog essentially called Outkick the Coverage. And we were able to scale that company with him and sell it to Fox uh, in June. So we started in June and sold it to Fox in June. It was actually under a year in total, which was pretty cool. And then we also purchased Total Frat Move last year. Um, all of our acquisitions and investments so far, Scott, have been like 
pretty small. Like we're writing, you know, 500K to a million dollar checks. And a lot of times we're actually not writing them, writing checks. We're, we're creating deals where it, we, we de-risk ourselves by, you know, yeah. saying, hey, we'll buy your company for a million dollars, but we're going to pay you out over three years. Right. Or five years. So we're, we're writing a $50,000 check or a hundred thousand yeah. dollar check. And it, if we, if we have high confidence that we can scale the company, a lot of times what happens is we scale the company so quickly that we're not actually writing checks. It's just coming out of the company's cash flow. So I think this is really interesting because, um, I, when we, when we first connected, uh, we were talking about this and I think that that's something that, um, people with a little bit of extra cash uh, don't consider when they want to talk about how to invest or how to put their money somewhere. So how did you find these deals? It's like, what, what are you looking for? Like these deals obviously are, well, one of them, like total frat move. That's a, that's a pretty well-known name, but how did you find these deals? How did you negotiate these, uh, these setups where you're writing a very small check and you're not just pumping a million dollars plus into these uh, into these companies so that they can help scale. Because if you're finding a company that is only worth, for example, a million dollars and you're you're putting in 50,000, the founder changed the perspective from a founder perspective. I'd be like, well, how how is this 50,000 going to do anything for me? Like I'm already I'm already hurting. I'm already uh I'm already not doing great as an organization. 50,000 isn't going to do much at all. So then I have to trust that you're going to take it to the next level while I'm still giving up an equity position. Yeah. It's, so American Songwriter, let's start there. It was a magazine yeah. brand. It was a 36, well, at the time, 34-year-old brand. Songwriter, very famous songwriters and artists love the mag and love the brand because they grew up reading it and they learned how to you know, help write their first song by reading the magazine. So there's a lot of brand affinity and the brand is just very strong, but we didn't really have digital presence. So that's an opportunity for us to, to say, okay, this is a match with our skill sets. And this company is owned by an older gentleman that was ready to retire. And, and his number was pretty low. Like he didn't want that much money to retire. He, he's uh, and so like that, that's a situation then with total frat move, it was, it had a lot of warts. It was a somewhat distressed asset where in 2016, I think they were doing like million dollar months and fast forward to 2020, you know, I'm, they were probably going to do a million dollars that year. And so the owners, and, and also it's just, I guess they were in this, in kind of like a life stage too, where they started this company when they were in their mid twenties. And they were entering, you know, their their early to mid thirties. They have families now. Like, do they really want to be running Total Frat Move? And so they made some mistakes back in sixteen that caused them to burn a lot of cash and lose a lot of revenue. And then they were getting to the point in their life where they didn't want to run this type of brand anymore. So we were able to get that brand for cheap as a result. We knew it had warts. We knew we were going to have to do a lot of work to scale it, but. Similarly to American Songwriter, it still had a strong brand affinity. Scott, it sounds like you've at least seen the Instagram handle or have heard of the brand before. Yeah, yeah, I knew, I knew, I knew them in university. Yeah, yeah. So you, <laughs> you know, you knew them move, the sorority move. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Yeah, college, all those yeah. brands. So um, those are the types of deals we've done. And, and but what I'll say is, there's always like a, and then with Outkick, it was different in the sense that there was an existing audience. It was. Clay Travis's kind of side hustle. He had this blog that he wrote on and he had a couple of contributors, but what he did have was a national audience that he didn't know how to monetize. So we were able to do a joint venture with him 
we agreed to invest up to X dollars. And I don't want to say that publicly yet because. No, no, that's cool. It, I just think the, the, the process is. But yeah, we yeah. scaled the company so quickly where we, I only think we ended up investing like 30 grand or something. Like we agreed to invest up to amount, but the company was so profitable out of the gate that we didn't really need to invest that much money. So we've made investments that are pretty low risk. Um, sure. I mean, if total frat boot fails, we'll be on the hook for, you know, four or 500 K more probably at this point, but um, that's not a huge deal, you know, spread out over 25 K allotments, you know, per quarter or 50 K yeah. allotments. I don't remember exactly what it is. And then, so, so you're looking the deal, at, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, so you, so you, you find, you find distressed assets um, that, and you and you immediately understand and take and you look at them and you see an opportunity um, to move into a different channel, different medium, scale them that way. Um, so what what so when you look at an asset, what is the what is the playbook to basically move into another medium or another another channel that hasn't been exploited yet? Because something, for example, like Outkick. Um, that makes sense. Okay, so maybe that's you know that's a side hustle that you can sort of more legitimize or put more energy into. But something like Total Frat Move, where they're already on uh, all social, like I don't think there's too many mediums that they haven't touched. That's a different playbook. So, but you have confidence in in scaling either of those. So, walk me through your strategy for when you take a look at a brand or an asset that you you do a deal with and how you want to grow them. Yeah. Yes, Total Frat Move has a lot of social handles, but a lot of them had been pretty much deprecated. Like the the TSM Instagram and Facebook hadn't been posted to in over a year. So, but that tells that tells me that there are followers that we could potentially reactivate there, and so we start posting relevant content there and just gauge the engagement for total frat move though we had a, i always developed these like high level monetization hypotheses before i actually drill into the channels so with total frat move it's like we could probably do merch because we've got millions of instagram like very engaged instagram followers the previous owners never really did merch and if they did it was with maybe a brand partnership and it was kind of a one-off so we thought we could we could scale merch. We've kind of proven that out. Like we we're starting to have low six figure merch months, which is good, which is a good start. Um, the second hypothesis I had was that we can integrate sports betting, which will prove out this football season. We haven't been able to prove that out yet. We had a lot of success with sports betting on Outkick and Total Frat Move has a similar but younger audience. And we have a plethora of learnings from, especially on the paid media front by leveraging and as an existing audience and scaling sports betting more broadly on channels like Facebook. And so I think we're going to be able to do that with total frat move, just like we did for Outkick. My third hypothesis was we are going to be able to create a website because they didn't really have a website. It was really just a social uh, being. It was like a social organism as a company. It was super weird. They had a website. It was haphazardly published to sometimes. Um, and it served honestly a better purpose for the TFM girls brand than anything. So I kept the TFM girls, the old website as TFM girls. And I launched a new website. We actually built out an editorial team that's publishing regular content. And we're going to try to increase page views as a result. And then there's all sorts of things that we can do when we actually own that traffic. Uh, like for example, monetizing via programmatic, maybe developing some sort of membership component. But those are our three focuses right now. It's 
increase audience and distribution as a result of that increasing merchandise sales and website traffic. And then the rest will kind of take care of itself. Because we got the company for so cheap, our hypothesis in general was like, worst case, we make our money back. Like there's no way yeah. we don't lose money here. And so again, it's a, it was like a really easy decision for us where like literally they were like, hey, we're interested in selling. And we were like, cool, here's our price. And they were like, cool, sounds good. And we like, it was two days or something. We did it. It was they a two were, day acquisition. It, it's, all, it's all timing, right? They were really ready yeah. to get out. The company wasn't doing that well financially. I mean, it was doing, it was profitable, it was doing some revenue, but compared to what, what it had been even three years, four years prior, it wasn't looking good. Um, they had some institution, well, they had a, 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 an institutional investor um, also that had invested a couple million dollars and he was anxious to get kind of new, fresh blood and, and ownership. And we've, we've got a good, uh, my business partner, Sam has a much deeper media background than I do. He's had a couple of exits in media too. So like we come with a really deep media track record. I um, at the time Outkick was exploding when we purchased TFM. So it was, it was a good deal all around. We flew out to Austin, signed the contract, had some drinks and then went to work. Awesome, man. Okay, so so this so if somebody, I'm just what I'm I'm trying to model out the way you've done this. I think it's very smart. So you're not putting in huge investments. You're finding you're finding assets at the right time, potentially distressed assets. Um, you put in a small check. You're you're agreeing to a deal to purchase it already at a low price. But you're putting in an even smaller check. Um, you're paying off your investment with actually revenue from the company. Uh, you develop like a high like a high growth playbook for the organization. You're just sort of doing like a holistic review of like their monetization options, different channels. And and then you're finding new ways or new avenues to explore, and then, then you're, you're just executing on that. And you you are not just part VC; you're obviously part operator too. So how uh, how how involved are you in these companies? What's your what what is your actual role in these? Is it I guess CMO? I was just taking a look at some yeah. Of the I'm kind of the resident chief marketing officer. I guess that's my background. Is even in the music business, I was doing a little bit of digital marketing, but when I ventured into all the failed startups. That's when I really learned how to do digital marketing. Um, I, some people call it growth hacking. I mean, I've been on, yeah. on the product teams before. It depends on what your goals are, acquisition or activation or retention. But um, yeah, so we operate the companies too. And it's a beautiful setup because, and we're still kind of learning as we go, Scott. I mean, we're only a year and a half into this thing, but it's cool because we've got a bunch of Savage Ventures employees and those people are all the creative people that you want to stick around for the long term, like growth hackers and developers, people that I'm not, I'm spending a lot of time like coaching and nurturing too to run experiments like like I think is the best way to run experiments. At least the data is proving that out. And so like the we've got a lot of Savage Ventures folks that are becoming really good digital marketers and we're building out a dev team so that we can fix technology super quickly if we end up nice. purchasing a company like TFM. And, and honestly, our growth hackers can do all the technical marketing stuff. So that's not a big deal. Um, and then when we sell a company like Outkick to Fox, that nucleus stays intact. And, and also it allows us to distribute talent as we really need it so that we're not, so there, there's no wasted time. I think that like people in big corporations, like middle managers and stuff work like 30% of the day. But we have so many companies and so little time, like our growth hackers should be working at least, you know, seven, like focus seven or eight hours a day. There's too much to work on for them not to be. And so it allows us to stay super efficient 
and um, it allows us to just get a lot of shit done. And that's part of the reason I think why we've been able to grow the company so quickly. And then also one other component of Savage Ventures that's interesting is we have in-house HR and accounting. And so literally that those services, again, are spread across the portfolio, which keeps our existing properties, our, our portfolio companies, super lean. Like we don't have many FTEs for the companies. For like a company like Dr. Hank, we've, we've got a call center and a lot of customer support. But for our media properties, we've got an intern running customer support. Um, you know, we've got obviously writers, some of the, some of the, our writers are FTEs, but dude, our companies are super lean. Our OPEX is so low if you take Amazing. out the Savage Ventures people. Amazing. Um, okay. I want to walk through, I want to walk through the playbook that you deployed for OutKick because that was obviously successful. So, um, we can't talk specific numbers, but it was a nine, almost nine figure exit. So like a very high eight figure exit, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Um, so it was, it was a good exit. Okay. So you got in, you got into OutKick. It was a, it was a, a blog that was being uh, run, I guess. Yeah. So Clay what, Travis. what were some of the we joint venture with yeah. Clay Travis? He had a, a blog called OutKick, the coverage that was doing, I don't even know if it was doing a million sessions per month. I don't think it was back in like April, May of last year. Um, but he had a national radio show, so he had a decent sized audience, but he wasn't, he didn't understand or have the wherewithal to figure out how to get in front of that audience on social and drive that traffic to the website and do all sorts of fun monetization things. And so it was a good marriage in that respect where like he had an existing audience we could build off of and not to derail your question, but like, that's part yeah. of what we look for. If, if there's an existing audience, we could scale. Like I like turning, I think we're best at turning stuff from three to 10 versus turning stuff from zero to three, just because that's more efficient. Uh, Cause we know how to go from three to 10. So we could buy more threes and threes could be like, we're doing a million dollars per year. We want to do 10, right. Or something like that. Or we've got an existing audience of like a million people and we want to scale that to 10 million, whatever it is, it's like 10 Xing. And like literally we more than 10 X outkick and, like 11 months. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Shopify. And don't you love that sound? That's the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. See, Shopify gives entrepreneurs the resources once reserved for big businesses. So upstarts, startups, and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online and offline sales activity, and effortlessly stay informed. You can not only sell your product, but you can reach customers online and across social media networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and apps, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and more. You can gain insights as you grow and detailed reporting of conversion rates, profit margins, and beyond. Whatever you need to track, Shopify can track it for you. And remember, Shopify was built to liberate commerce for entrepreneurs and big businesses alike. Shopify is tirelessly reinventing tools of growth and scale for over 1.7 million businesses. So if 1.7 million businesses trust Shopify to help them organize their online and synchronize with their offline sales, you should be able to use it for your business as well. Connect with your customers, drive sales, manage your day-to-day, accept all major payment methods and integrate with any third-party app you could possibly think of. If you want to try out Shopify right now, go to shopify.com slash success story. That's all lowercase for a free 
14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash success story right now. Remember, success story is all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash success story. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Get Abstract. Now, what is Get Abstract? Get Abstract finds rates and summarizes top business books, articles, and video talks into 10-minute abstracts to help people make better business decisions, help people level up, upskill. They give you the most important, pertinent points. They cut all the fluff for you. If you're like me, you love to read, you love to watch little video segments, you love to read articles, you grab a new book, but you run out of time. And this is where Get Abstract really helps because they make sure that they find the most important, most impactful business books, articles, talks, and they summarize it for you so you get the main takeaways, the main points. They have over 22,000 texts and audio summaries in areas such as leadership, finance, innovation, health, and science. So if you want to level yourself up and you're running out of time, Get Abstract is a great tool. I absolutely love it. Now, they put together a special offer for everybody who's a Success Story podcast listener. There's no stress. There's no risk in trying it. They're giving you a month free. So if you want to use it to get the most relevant points from books, if you want to use it to even test drive a book before you purchase it, or if you want to use it to discover hidden gems or pieces of work that you maybe never even knew existed because they have an entire team that curates all this content for you, you can go to getab.li, that's get ab g-e-t-a-b dot l-i slash success and you can get a free month of get abstracts you can test it out see what the summaries are like you can see what the abstracts are like and you can see the library of content that they've created so that is get ab g-e-t-a-b dot l-i slash success so how did you do that so walk me through what, what were some of the main uh some of the main growth hacking digital marketing things that you did with outkick uh, outkick excuse me that really worked yeah, a couple things. One is, so I think there are three components to scaling something 10x in 12 months. There's people, and I mentioned Savage Ventures earlier. So we had the right people. We had good growth hackers, knowledgeable digital marketers, good writers, et cetera. And a person that knew how to build out an editorial team. Dallas is our like resident chief editorial officer who has a deep background in sports. So we had the people then you need the process. I have a process called high tempo testing, which is basically like a Kanban board. If you can imagine like a Trello type of situation where you've got your idea backlog and then you just drag something through this workflow and there's a quantitative system to rank your ideas and all the ideas tie up to whatever monetization levers we're trying to pull or test. And so like an idea might be like, let's run Facebook ads against you know our, our membership offering to this audience with this type of angle or whatever. And everything links up to our core, like four or five things we're trying to test as far as monetization is concerned. And then the third thing, it, you need timing. Just like I mentioned timing, purchasing these companies, you need timing. Like you can be the best marketer and you could have the best fucking product like my uh, restaurant app that I told you about. Fantastic yeah. product. But it was 2015 or something. Like. DoorDash wasn't even a thing. Like it was not even an idea in someone's head at that point, I don't think. Maybe they were going through YC at the time. I don't know, but they I don't think they were around. You need timing. And so the content that Clay likes to cover is literally like pol politics and sports. And think about where we were in the middle of 2020 when we launched this thing. It was just super polarizing content that was very timely. And so it presented the right time to scale audience super quickly. 
Like I remember we launched our YouTube channel, for example, like from scratch. And we had like 50,000 subscribers in like two months or something. It was wild. And we had a couple videos with a million views because the content was perfect. Yes, we've got a video production team. Yes, we know how to, you know, optimize videos, you know, titles, tags, et cetera. Yes, we know how to do, we know how to test these channels, but like you still need the, the timeliness of whatever your offer is, right? And so those three components existed for Outkick. We didn't know it obviously when we started, but when we started to scale it super quickly, we did. And so through um, through that process, you basically test different monetization tactics or, or monetization levers that you can pull. We had mem- our membership offering. We had driving traffic to the website and monetizing it programmatically. We and those are kind of like you know staples in media these days. We had merchandise and other staple in media. So we were testing all of these things. One of our other tests, though, was sports betting. And going back to timing again, sports betting had just become legal the year prior in the states, uh, in like four or five different states. And it and another four or five states were about to go online at the kickoff of football season. So here we are with a really growing audience that's super passionate and engaged, that is is a mixture of sports and politics that trust our brand. You know, I, I think in... October or November, we, we scaled traffic to the point where we were doing definitely probably about 10 million sessions per month. So it was a pretty sizable website considering we went from like, I don't know, 500,000 sessions, you know, four or five months prior. And so we had a bunch of website traffic. We had a bunch of eyeballs. Facebook also was super interesting in the sense that we were posting, again, very timely, very well-written editorial content there. And even though we started our Facebook page pretty much from scratch. We had maybe like 60 or 70,000 followers. We were we had posts that were reaching five to six million people organically. It, the algorithm was just really liking our, some of our Facebook content. You think and, it was timely? Is that, you think that's why? Yeah, it was super timely. Because, Again, we were posting yeah. content that people wanted to read about because this was 2020, the election was coming up. I mean, it, uh, COVID was happening. Because and, and our brand literally is a mixture of politics and sports. And it's it's all about the Outkick brand was all about free speech. And it still is, obviously. And Fox obviously was a good partner in that respect where it was conservative leaning. It was it was mm-hmm. basically free speech, capitalism, like everybody should be able to do or say whatever they want to do within those guardrails I talked about earlier. And a ton of America resonated with it. And obviously a ton of America like sports. So it was like a one stop shop for your you know, what you believe in and also to read about a game, you know, it was like really cool. And so, um, our fourth monetization, uh, test was sports betting. And like I said, we had this audience and four or five more States were due to go live. And one of those States was Tennessee and Clay's from Tennessee. We're here in Nashville. And basically long story short is through a lot of experiments and through launching sports betting, we got to the point where we were doing million dollar weeks in profit through sports betting, a mixture of organic because we had quite a bit of website traffic and we had decent email list and and we had obviously a lot of reach on Facebook and YouTube and some reach on Twitter too. Um, but also we were running a ton of experiments around paid media, especially on Facebook. And Facebook's algorithm is a little wonky these days because of the iOS 14 privacy updates that happen. But back then, Literally, I would just target broadly, like here are the 10 legal states, here are the three creatives I wanted to test, here are the three copy variations I wanted to test. And honestly, I could let like Facebook do its thing. And around the biggest sporting events, like when Tennessee went live with sports betting, and I think they had a big promo for like the UT versus Kentucky game or something. 
and then the college football championship. And then we get to the Super Bowl, which is February of this year. We had a, so many learnings. Like we had paid media dialed in. We knew what organic channels worked the best through what mediums worked the best. And so when we hit the Super Bowl, we almost did a million dollars, I think, on Super Bowl Sunday, just to give you some con for, for, for some texture. Yeah. So basically, when you go into a media property, you need timing, obviously, or any company, and you need to test a bunch of different monetization levers to see, or offers is another way to call them. If you just have like a singular product, it would probably be like angles is what you would test. But but you test all of these different things and you find one that that is clearly working and then you like quadruple, you 10x down on it. You like literally just focus yeah. on that and scale it. And that's kind of what we did. And Fox is one of Fox's top three um, kind, of, kind of priorities for 2021. One of them was sports betting. And because our content also was was uh, was a good fit from like a conservative political standpoint, it was a no brainer for them to come in and purchase us probably sooner than we would have sold prior. So that was actually, I was going to ask you, did you do all of this with an, with an early exit in mind? Obviously you had some sort of exit. You wanted to make your money back. Um, but, and the founders probably wanted to like the, well, they, they, the founders clay wanted probably to get some money out of his blog. Um, but, uh, did you, did you actually do this with exiting in mind? Did you think that far ahead? Were you thinking Fox has a, you know, Fox has been discussing sports betting. That's a potential exit partner. Or was this just a, a happy coincidence, like serendipity that this happened after you went into sports betting? You had a brand that was really working well with like the Fox brand. And um, and how did that transaction come to be? Yeah. So any company we take on, whether it's Total Frat, Maver Outkick or American Songwriter, we want to sell it as quickly as possible. We're not in the business of building these big, giant legacy companies. We, myself and Sam, my business partner, we absolutely, like when a company gets large to the point where we have to worry about like HR and we have to worry about like politicking and stuff like that, we held on to the company for too long. So the Outkick story is hopefully something that we'll be able to repeat many times over. Now, will they all be less than one year? and selling it for almost $100 million? Probably not. But they could be like two or three year holds. I would say three years would be pushing it and it could be a similar story, right? And so we, whenever we acquire a company or start a company, that's our mindset. It's like scale it and sell it as fast as possible. And so and with the outkick situation, sports betting is just such a hot market right now. It's like probably top three, I would imagine in the United States as far as like growth last year. And so, or at least interest. I don't know about actual dollars because only 10 states are live right now, yeah. but um, they, Fox wasn't the only one that was interested. Uh, there were other companies that were interested, other large media companies. Fox just made the most sense because of how how great of a fit the content was, you know, otherwise. Like if they were just purchasing us for sports betting revenue, I don't, like, what, like the other companies, we're more so doing it just didn't feel right because we have we had other very good rep revenue streams just a lot smaller like our programmatic stream is six figures per month or you know like i said our website traffic's pretty healthy our brand partnerships are are solid i think we did some six-figure months and so like we were doing a decent amount of memberships too we had six-figure membership months so it's it's like we had other we had a really strong profitable company it's just the sports betting revenue was by far the largest revenue stream and 
um, it happened to be a really hot market. And it still is a hot market going into this football season. Are there are there considerations? So say somebody is is doing the same type of thing as what you're doing. Are there considerations for introducing new revenue streams, um, being sensitive to existing audiences, doing it so that it doesn't have a, a net negative impact? Or is it is it just about testing and, and putting stuff in and just ideating on new ways to make money and bringing it to an existing audience? Is there any yeah, is there any it, things you have to think about? It's all about testing. A lot of our, a lot of people inside of Outkick were very hesitant to like blast our audience with sports betting promos. And I was like, well, we don't know until we know. And it just so happened that a lot of our audience was, was interested in betting. Great. And you could, we could kind of see it organically when we started publishing sports betting content, you know, people navigating over to that, or we would include it in our newsletter. And, and I think we did some surveying. So you could do some things up front that, that allow you to like gauge how fast you can experiment with a new offer that you're unsure will resonate with your audience. But at the end of the day, if they're really loyal fans, I don't think it matters too much. Like if they just see an offer they don't like from the company that they really like, then they'll just be like, my preferences, I don't like this. And that's fine. I'll continue to consume the other content that I really like or continue to do whatever I do with that company or purchase. Like there are a lot of companies I'm sure Scott that you you consume their product, but you don't like all their products or you don't like some things that they're doing or some things that they're creating aren't made for you. So I'd say go harder than you think you sh- you can go like piss, piss people off, like yeah. get to the, go to the point where you think you're going to piss people off. And I bet you you're not even 50% of the way there. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, that's smart. That's, I think the people, I think people have to, I think founders or, well, I guess, you know, in your case, um, a venture partner, sometimes you have to get out of your own head as to what your audience is okay with. And I think that you won't know until you know that. Do you have any ideas for people that are more hesitant, like how to test and how to, how to poll and how to get some feedback just to make them feel a little bit more comfortable? Even, even though I, I hear what you're saying, I, I don't disagree with you, but are there some strategies that you've seen effective to actually get some feedback from the audience before you launch something new? Yeah. If you, well, for, firstly, if you screw up and you do have a loyal audience that likes at least one of your products, if you screw up, it's a great opportunity for you to be human and say, hey, I screwed up. And it's actually a great opportunity for you to start talking you know, more in a one-on-one capacity with your customer base, at least through email. And and maybe it's your customer support team that's doing that. So I'd say every step of the way, you should be as aggressive as possible because you're aggressive. Like I said, it's probably not even aggressive enough for, and this is specifically for a startup. If you want to be a high growth startup, you've got to run more experiments than you think you should be running or can be running. Um, as far as like polling and surveying, just send out an email saying, or do a Twitter poll or whatever, wherever your audience is, just say, Hey, do you Talk like this? Audience. Like, it's super simple. People complicate the heck out of this stuff. It's pretty simple. Just have a conversation like you and I are having with your customers, see what they like, see what they don't like. And you can do that obviously via, via like forms or, or polls. If you have a large audience and you just need to get a high level aggregate, but you could also have some one-on-one conversations if you're just starting out and you're like going through a beta test. And what's cool about that is you can actually make them feel like they're a part of the product creation, even though like ultimately you have the decision, just making them feel like they have a say is super powerful from like an influence and persuasion standpoint. And they'll probably be lifelong customers and advocates. 
I love that, man. And I, and you know, one thing that I'm bringing, I, I keep hearing you say, not not explicitly, but you you are so okay with testing and trying new things and iterating. And even when you you know, how many founders get stuck in their head and they they run the same playbook for five years and it's not working and they keep running that playbook? You just go in and and you don't really have, you know, I think you're actually at an advantage because you don't have that that. I guess that love for the company, like it's your baby, like a founder would have that I actually think can hurt them in the long run because they get stubborn about what's working and what's not like everything you did, the founders could have done without you, but they, they probably stuck in their lane a little bit too much. Yeah, probably. That's interesting point about how founders are super close to their product. And in some cases it's like their life mission or whatever. Uh, We view it as just, we're capitalists. So we view it as this is an investment and we're going to try to grow the investment as much as possible. And because it's our investment, we have ultimate skin in the game. And like I told you earlier, so far, the numbers haven't been crazy. Like, if we lose 500K, oh, well. Like, I, I probably spent yeah. that much throughout the music industry days. Nah, probably not quite that much. But um, it's not yeah. like 20 million, 50 million. Yeah, it's not like 20 million. It's, like it's, it's not like we're going to be yeah. broke, you know? Yeah. Um, and because we have five or six companies, it kind of reduces risk in that respect too. What I found is certain months, like one company will kill it. And then the next month, like the other company will kill it. And some companies won't do as well certain months because of certain factors. And so if you've got five or six, you're kind of diversified in that respect if you view it that way. Um, but yeah. yeah, dude, for like you, people need to view their business as their livelihood and they need to think about it through the lens of like capitalism. And at the end of the day, even though this is your passion project, it needs to be a viable business. And to do that, you need to be super aggressive in your go-to-market plan and strategy and execution, especially your execution. I am blown away by the fact that I read these like 10 to 15 page strategy Google Docs when the company doesn't even have a customer yet or they have, you know, like a couple thousand dollars in MRR. I'm like, what the heck are you doing? Just go out to start testing. Like literally you've wasted months writing the strategy doc but you don't know what your fucking strategy needs to be dude you don't know that until you go to market like go to market start running experiments launch a facebook ad anybody can do it like get start getting some feedback that data is going to inform your strategy you shouldn't be creating a strategy until you're at like a million dollars plus in revenue in my opinion it's just a waste of time okay um and and also you have to figure out economics of scale too right so if you do figure out a strategy and you run ads and you that's fine that's great but all all of a sudden if you're trying to run a million dollars in ads per month uh maybe that same strategy isn't isn't valid anymore right there's 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 limits not limits there's going to be ceilings on on a on a strategy that you set up and you have to keep figuring stuff out so i think that also people over over engineer a strategy and then they realize that it's not going to take them from 100k arr to 100 million arr it's not going to be the same strategy that you're just going to run throughout the whole life cycle of a company and that's I've seen that actually as well. Where okay, so we have the strategy actually. I, so I, again, you don't want to name names if the company isn't comfortable talking about this. But I worked with companies before, and they were an older company, not 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 big, but older, and they were doing you know a couple hundred thousand ARR, but they've been running the same playbook as they got them the first hundred K, and they wanted to scale that up to a million, and the economics of scale didn't work out. The ad conversion, the return on ad spend wasn't there, and it was self serve so- software. Up application and they had to completely revamp how they how they took their product to market and it was a mix of uh 
even understanding what their brand and how their customers perceive them, moving up market to mid-market and enterprise, just hiring a sales team that was going outbound versus just pure self-serve, and all these different things that made the founder uncomfortable, but ultimately was what brought them to the point where they could be acquired. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. Now the holidays are here and that means client gifts. Maybe you're a classic type that goes for the champagne or the gift basket, or maybe you're a little irreverent and you go for the custom bobblehead or monogram stress ball. Gifts are a great way to show your customers that you care. But what clients want, what they really, really, really want is time, and attention and a little bit of love. A HubSpot CRM platform helps your business connect with customers consistently, consciously, and shows them a whole lot of love. New customer-centric features like a CRM-powered CMS means your marketers and developers can personalize the customer experience and ensure that the intention you give your customers is reflected in the data that is timely and relevant. Secure customer portals keep ticket conversations going between customers and reps, offer access to your knowledge base, and can be customized to fit your brand all without coding a thing. It's a customer gift that keeps on giving. Learn more about how a HubSpot CRM can help build, maintain, and grow your customer relationships at HubSpot.com. I just want to take a second to thank the sponsor of today's episode, Manscaped. I want you to set your New Year's resolution with good intentions. I want you to set a resolution that you can actually keep and join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. Now, if you don't know what that is, I'll explain in a second. But if you do, you need to take advantage of our exclusive offer. Go to Manscaped.com and use code 20SUCCESS for 20% off and free shipping. Now, what's Manscaped? Well, Manscaped is the global leader in below-the-waist grooming. So now you can take your below-the-belt grooming to the next level with their Performance Package 4.0 and brand-new ultra-premium body wash. In the Performance Package 4.0, you'll find the signature Lawnmower 4.0. This is an electric trimmer designed to trim hair on loose skin. And just know that with the Lawnmower 4.0, the advanced skin-safe technology reduce cuts and nicks to your most delicate parts. It also comes with a 4,000K LED spotlight that will shine a light so that you don't mess up when you're trying to clean up for a great 2022. And of course, the grooming routine isn't complete without smelling good. Apply the Crop Preserver and Crop Reviver before showing off your 2022 Manscaped self. These unique formulas take care of the smelliest parts of your body, keep you smelling fresh. This is a big boost in confidence that you need in 2022. Kick your discomfort and your poor hygiene to the curb. Use the best tools for the job and get 20% off and free shipping with the code 20success at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code 20success. It's a new year, no pubes in 2022 with Manscaped. So Yeah, those were all experiments. Like I was yeah. talking to a B2B sales leader, a friend of mine, and he was like, should we try out this call center? Should we do this? I was like, dude, if you've got the budget and you've got a sound do hypothesis, it. try everything. And yeah. what will probably end up happening is some stuff's going to moderately work and you'll continue to do that. Some stuff's going to fail. And, it's, and then you're going to have one or two experiments that just like transform your business, like our sports betting monetization experiment with Outkick, for example. Yeah. Or we've got one for American songwriter called it's just our contests. We, we host these singer songwriter contests and we launched those digitally uh, via paid media 
uh, last year. And those have been transformative to our e-commerce revenue going from like a traditional, like old school magazine company into the digital world. And so like you, and we, we've tested like 20 other, you know, e-commerce offerings, right. And, but just this one is working really well. So you might have to test 20 or 30 things, but that one thing that works is going to far outpay the, the 19 that don't. Do you think that what you're doing now, so you're in, how many companies are you in now total? You're in a, like, So four, we've got, five, doc- six, yeah, we're still operating Outkick. We've got Dr. Hank, the direct consumer pharmacy brand. We're going to try to grow that to like 500K MR in the next 12 months and sell that. And then we've got American Songwriter, which is the biggest question mark in my mind as far as like growth potential and um, who would actually buy it. Because with through Dr. Hank, it's more like an Outkick situation where where it's timely, right? It's like direct to consumer healthcare. It's valued very well right now. Uh, coming out of 2020, companies realize that they need to figure this stuff out. And so it's and it's subscription revenue for the most part. Um, and then we've got also Total Frat Move, which it's still early, but I think that thing is gonna be a monster. Merchandise, sports betting, we'll build some audience. Probably not as monster as Outkick was, but we've got a great brand there with existing social distribution more so than well, way more than what we started with without kick. And then we've also got Savage Media, which is our video production company. And we actually are dabbling in real estate. We purchased a building in, in Germantown here in Nashville. That's going to be the Savage Media headquarters. So we'll have a big video production studio there that will service all of our companies. But I think we're going to be launching more shows for Fox and Outkick too. So that'll be awesome. Fun. Okay. And, and for somebody who wants to follow in your path and just realize that they can negotiate a deal for 30 or 50,000 bucks, which is money that a lot of people can invest, can afford to invest, um, is this something that they could, first of all, I just love some uh, advice from you for somebody who wants to get into this, purchase their first portfolio company, or also, if somebody is still working, do you think this is something that they could do as a, as a side hustle or is this too much involvement for that? No, this is definitely a full-time thing. If, okay. if you have some digital marketing expertise, I'd say get really good at that and then start investing some dollars because worst case scenario, you, you can find, you can squeeze out like a over one row as and probably not lose that much money if you're like a, a decent digital marketer. Um, if you're not a good digital marketer, I'd go find one and then team up with that person. Like if you've got 50 to 100 K that, that you want to invest in a very high risk, more high risk, but like interesting things like that might be a good way to start, but I'd find a good trusty digital marketer and give that person like partnership level access to your you know portfolio or whatever. That's kind of what happened with Sam and I, where, um, I, I haven't really invested a lot of money. It's been more so my time. And I've got insane digital marketing expertise. So, and, and Sam's got a really good, um, he has a really good track record of media. He has a lot of deal flow. And that's what, one of the reasons why we partnered up is, and so like that synergy is super strong where he's got a really good business expertise. He's got really good, he's got a track record of success of scaling and selling companies, especially in media. So he gets a lot of deal flow. He has deal flow. I have knowledge on how to scale these this or take advantage or take action you know execute off the deal flow so it was a really good happy marriage so maybe more people out there can find a marriage like sam and i have yeah it's almost like the uh it's almost the opposite of when you're trying to start your own company and you're looking for a technical founder now you're looking for a non-technical marketing <laughs> venture venture partner almost so it's a little bit yeah different. yeah yeah Once, if you find someone with deal flow and you could go i just heard i think it was on I think it was on the My First Million podcast, you know, Sam's podcast. 
I think that's that podcast is on your network too, right? The HubSpot network. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I heard th- this uh, this guy came on their podcast. I think he's starting this company called Micro Acquire. Super. Interesting I know. Concept. I know. I know. Uh, I know the founder, Andrew. Okay, yeah, I'm going to have him on too. Yeah. So cool. he you has a totally have him on. This. Yeah. So yeah. he has a marketplace for this. So if you've got thirty or fifty grand and you're very interested in like doing a startup, let's say you're in a corporate job and you're interested in maybe doing startups full time and or you're interested in investing or whatever, that might be a good place to start too. If you don't have deal flow, um, other than that, I would find someone with deal flow, and then you would definitely the missing component there would be digital marketing expertise. Technical smart. marketing expertise. All right, I want to I want to bring out some uh, rapid fire career questions um, before we pivot. Uh, any last thoughts on stuff you're working on now, and then also most importantly, if people want to reach out to you, ask you questions, uh, social, email, website, whatever you want to drop. Yeah, Savage.Ventures is the website. There's a contact form there. I read all those inquiries uh, personally. And then LinkedIn DMs, good. I'm more active on LinkedIn than Twitter. I'm active in Twitter DMs, so you can definitely DM me there. But I honestly like to stay off of social media. I'm, I'm on social media all day long for my companies, and then yeah, personally, it's you. just too much for me. You know. <laughs> um, all right, so let's go through some rapid fire. Uh, biggest challenge that you've overcome in your own uh, personal or professional life? What was it? How did you overcome it? Yeah, it was leaving the music industry, having that really toxic relationship with my best friend, turn business partner, and then, you know, fast forward five or six years, we couldn't even talk to each other, sit in the same room as each other. We were actually, he was the best man at my wedding too. Um, hmm. Basically reinventing myself. I had done some digital marketing man in the music industry, but I was doing more like just producing. Like I was actually recording the records and producing them. And, and um, I literally had to transform myself like reinvent my career because I had spent the last eight or nine years before that learning how to be a really good music producer and bass player and, and recording engineer. And I spent like 5% of my time digital marketing. So that was probably, I, I sat on the couch for three months. I, I even cried a couple of times, like in my wife's arms, like, can you imagine her? Like, it's okay, baby. It's okay. Um, <laughs> it was, it was not, I was not in a good state. I was super depressed and Luckily, my friend called me out of Atlanta, like I mentioned earlier, and I got into the app game, the startup game, and ended up loving it. And as a result, here I am, like another six or seven years later, one of the top digital marketers in the world. And at least I think so. I've spent who God knows how many hours doing it um, and had my first like real deal success story in business, which is super cool. Amazing. Um, how did you reinvent yourself? How did you, how did you double down on digital marketing? What was your, was it just grinding it out? Where did you go? Yeah, to learn grinding it this? out. You can learn anything on YouTube and uh, YouTube. Yeah, it was, it was a thing back then, but like I was, I would just say yes. So for example, when I was trying to grow split, we had no marketing expertise and I was technically like our leader of marketing and sales. I, I was just like, oh, we need to do this. I don't know how to do it. We don't have any money to hire somebody. I'm going to figure it out. And 99% of your answers are on YouTube or on Google, and you can go there and find your answers. And then that knowledge just compounded over, you know, a three to four year period. Also another key to, I think how fast I grew as a digital marketer or how fast I transformed my career was not just saying, yes, I'll do anything and everything related to marketing, but also it's working with multiple companies at the same time. Because during that period, yeah, I was doing split pretty much full time, but I was, you know, dabbling in this other company that I wasn't even getting paid for. I was just trying to do it. And so like, that's the reason I have like 20 something probably 
like startup failures is because I said yes to every opportunity. I tried it. I failed at it. And through those lessons, I got really good really fast. So it's, it's like I went on a accelerated version of like becoming a badass digital marketer by working with three to four companies <laughs> and at a time and saying yes to everything. Um, but yeah, dude, I remember the first time I said yes to like a real deal marketing consulting project. This company is going to pay me 30 bucks an hour to run paid search ads. I had no idea how to do it. I, mean, I had never done it before. I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And that night I stayed up all night. I read up about it, like everything from like how you modify keywords to how you can test ads. And I guess I'm naturally kind of uh, gifted at marketing in general. Like it's just, it's like, like when I first picked up the guitar, like I mentioned earlier, marketing like kind of clicked for me too. And especially like taking science to marketing, which you could do in 2021. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so like I said, yes to paid search and it was a little bit of, it was a little bit clunky early on with that company that hired me. But dude, three months later, I was making them a crap load of money off the $30 an hour they were paying me. I remember they had like a five to 10 ROAS and we were scaling it across hmm. like six or seven markets. And so every for everyone out there that's trying to get into a new career, reinvent themselves, or just like kind of feeling down in the dumps, just start saying yes to more stuff. And then what ends up happening is you get really good at something and then you have to start saying no to most things. But you, you don't get there place, until man. like where you are with me right now, like where you are in my shoes. Like I'm starting to say no to stuff now, but, um, for the last seven years, I've said yes to literally everything. Amazing. And then I, and then I um, sleep sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, listen, man, it leveled you up really, really fucking yeah. quickly. So that's good. That's good. It's, uh, yeah, you, you throw yourself into something, you, you know, you sink or swim, and most people figure out a way to swim if they want it bad enough. Um, For sure. All right. Let's, uh, okay, next one, one person who's been very impactful in your life. There's probably been a few, but pick one. And uh, what what did they teach you? What did you learn from them? I'll, I'll just go with Sam, maybe because it's like top of mind, my current business partner. Yeah. But he's someone I looked up to in the music industry, or excuse me, in, in the business world. Um, interesting story about how I met him, by the way. I, I was doing some networking as I got a year or two into my digital marketing career, I was just interested in networking with other startup people and stuff like that. And it, this one week I networked, like grabbed drinks with, which I don't recommend doing by the way, is just grab random drinks unless you're actually going to take action off of like the conversation. Um, a lot of people just will grab coffee and I wait, I've wasted thousands of hours grabbing coffee. I wish I just was running digital marketing experiments during that time. But um, <laughs> I, I ran into three people. So I was kind of, I was becoming a decent technical marketer. I was like building websites, you know, scaling ads. And, and I was talking to people that didn't even know like what WordPress was, you know? And so like, they, but, all, but three people this one week said, hey dude, you should really meet the Sam guy. And no one would give me his freaking information. Like they were being, they were very guarded on his information. He, he's this like internet, you know, um, he's this internet like magician. He scaled all these media properties. He lives here in Nashville. And I perked up, dude. I'm like, this guy's in Nashville? Because Nashville, it's getting better, but it's pretty much like a music and healthcare town. Like there's some good technical people here, but uh, now, but back in like 16, 17, it really wasn't that great. And so, of course, being the good digital marketer I am, I scraped his email using this Chrome extension called DuckSoup, which I think we talked about actually we about his personal yeah, email. Yeah. Um, and I, I emailed him, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, I've got to make, I've got to make this count, you know, because like this is a guy that I clearly need to meet. I'm almost nervous sending this email out, and so the subject line was, "Who the fuck is Sam Savage?" And <laughs> that got his attention. 
he opened it and responded like 30 minutes later saying, dude, let's meet for drinks. And so what he, what he's taught me and we met for drinks, you know, like a week later, we ended up starting a business, the Dr. Hank thing, like a year after that. And then obviously we're scaling the crap out of Savage Ventures now together, which is cool. Um, He's taught me a couple of things. One is life is way too short to work with people and to work on things you really aren't, don't like to do. Like you don't have to be like going back to what you were saying earlier, you don't have to be super passionate about the companies you're scaling. Like, you know, um, like it's your, it's your lifelong, you know, like passion or whatever, but you need to really enjoy the people you're working with and the environment you're working in and generally enjoy like what you're doing inside of the companies. Like, I don't yeah. really like adult or I don't like uh, total frat based content anymore being like a, I mean, I, it's kind of nostalgic. I, I say that, but I look at the, it's DF like, girls it's, uh, you know, it was really but, funny. It was funny. Yeah. Like when I was in college, right? Like, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, it's still funny now in a nostalgic type of funny. way. I just don't, yeah. don't have time to look at that content anymore. Cause I've got yeah, two young sure. kids and a bunch of companies to work on. But, um, so that's one is like life's too short to do something you don't want to do. And that could be applicable to your personal life too. Like if you're in a bad, yeah. if you're in a relationship, you shouldn't be in. If you are getting married, you really don't want to be, whatever it is, like get out, just do it. You're going to, it's going to suck for like three months and then it's going to, your life's going to be like transformed just making those decisions. Yeah. And then the second thing I'd say is like, just be, don't be afraid. Like I am, I'm pretty because of kind of watching Sam do things, he like just has a very, not laissez-faire, but like he just has a, a, a very, um, he just doesn't have a filter. He's always himself. And he will like literally call somebody that's like super famous, super respected, you know, or whatever, and have a conversation. He's just like, he's, he, he's, he's relentless about connecting with people and networking. And it doesn't, he doesn't get, it doesn't he doesn't let it bother him if that makes sense i'm having trouble explaining this one but like no he's just uh, i get it he's just just like he's not he's not um he's not uh not threatened but just he doesn't place people on a pedestal he just yeah he treats he treats everyone like like he's he's their friend you know not not a friend but like everyone's on the same yeah and we don't really have like I help, like I coach our marketers and stuff, but at Savage Ventures, we're pretty much on an even playing field, you know, except when we sell a company, yeah. obviously the contributions will be differently, but, um, but yeah, so those are the two big things I think I learned from him. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I, I respect that. I don't, I don't know Sam well, maybe I'll have to have him on one day. Um, if you can get him on, he's, I've been pushing him to do more stuff like this, but he's a super private yeah. person too. That's fair. That's fair. You know, maybe I'll just have to be, uh, I'll have to be Joe Rogan level and then, uh, and then he'll fly out. <laughs> then Probably so. He'll, no, do he'll, show. he'll do this podcast, Scott. I'm kind of, he is, he is more private. I, the feedback that I've given him recently though, is like, you need to start. Yeah. Cause we, as part of me being on here or just me, us talking about the podcast, it's like, I really want to get the Savage Ventures brand more out there because yeah. we work on our existing, our portfolio brands all the time, but we have spent no time doing the Savage Ventures brand other than, I had Cliff, our designer, redo a logo, and I threw up a one-page WordPress site, which is now like three pages, you know, earlier this year. Other than that, yeah, we really yeah. haven't spent any time on the brand. Yeah, and that's, that will attract more deal flow, too. If For you sure. have that strong brand, that will attract some really incredible talent. Not to say that you can't find it, but, I mean, you will get some startups that come out of the woodwork that, that want to work with you because you've had, some, you've had some really great successes. So it's nice to be in that spot, right, where you, can, where, where you have the ability to choose who you're working with. 
mm-hmm. and you're not hunting for more deals. Um, but yeah, for sure. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out, man. We'll figure it out. Um, all right. Uh, what would be a book, podcast, audible, something that you would recommend people go check out that's been, uh, it's been useful for you. Oh man, I could go all day long. So uh, as part of like saying yes to everything, I also became this, like, I had never really read books up until I started this digital marketing and like entrepreneurship journey. And then I, I was doing at one point in time, like a book a week. And I think that was part of the transformation process for me. Um, just developing a, a daily reading habit, which is usually like 30 to 45 minutes before bed. I'd say the top like five books are um, influenced by Cialdini. I forgot the exact name. It's like influence how to persuade and influence people or whatever by Robert Cialdini. It's like one of the most famous marketing books of all time. It, he didn't write it as a marketing book. And it actually, it, it came he just came out with a new version too, which is a lot longer and more updated for the digital age because the book was published, I think, back in like the early mid-90s. Um, that's a really I, I good that one. Book, but I, I don't think I have it. I might... Mm. No, I don't have it here. It's it's influence. Um, I think it's the power of persuasion or the yeah, psychology like of that. persuasion. Yeah. yeah, something like that yeah. by Robert Cialdini. Uh, yeah. There's a book by Tim S. Grover called Relentless that I have mixed mm-hmm. feelings about four or five years after I read it. But he was Michael Jordan's coach. If you saw the Michael Jordan documentary that was released on, I think it was on Netflix last year or whatever. He was interviewed in there a couple of times. That's a really good book about what it takes to actually be the best. And a lot of people don't want it. It's not for everyone. And what Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, and Dwayne Wade went through to be the best at their craft and how he coached them through that. That's a super good book. Uh, what else comes to mind? Those are good. Those are good books. Dude, I, mm-hmm. I, I could walk back in the office right now. We've got a stack of books. <laughs> I read a book recently that was interesting and it, it kind of shed some light on our outkick success in that like we we didn't really realize it at the time, but we took advantage of changes of, of legislation that was passed inside the government. And so mm-hmm. there's a book called the Clipper Ship Strategy or Chip. It, yeah, it's the Clipper Ship, I think, the Clipper Ship Strategy. And basically the Clipper Ship Strategy was back during the gold rush. Um, there was a... Um, very high demand on the entire uh, west coast of the United States, and then there there was some, uh, there was um, equipment basically being manufactured at low cost on the east coast of the United States, and clipper ships were these new ships that could go really fast and take all the equipment that they needed, basically the pickaxes that they needed, and bring them around the uh, bottom half of the United States and up to California, and so they can manufacture these. Uh, uh, pickaxes for like, you know, a dollar or 50 cents or something on the East Coast and sell them for like $20 on the West Coast. And the margins were huge. And so it's just like take advantage of different circumstances. And he goes into how you can do this with the government in, in the more recent years um, and how like there are these funnels of money that are created by the government when new legislation is passed and how you could build companies around that. It was fascinating. Uh, definitely more of like a dry read. If But if you're into like if you're diehard about like being an entrepreneur and growing companies, that might be an interesting read. And then podcasts, I I would read, I would, if you're trying to be a good digital marketer, the marketing school podcast is good. Um, yeah, yeah. With, uh, with him and then Eric Sue. Yeah. Eric Sue. That's a good one. If you're like just getting started 
in technical marketing because it's like these five minute sound bites. The um, the perpetual podcast traffic is good for ads, especially Facebook ads. I think that's run by a digital marketer. And then all the all in podcast, which is a newer one, which is just basically like four very prolific investor billionaires talking. I know, I know that podcast. Shit. Yeah, that's a really good one. Like Jamath is on there and some other folks. Yeah. Um, and then I'd say the the fifth podcast I listen to a bunch is Noah Kagan's podcast because he's he's got a good marketing mind, but he also has like this interesting business uh, sensibility to him. Um, and so he talks about like he interviews a lot of fascinating people. And he's also just a really good interviewer. So that's an entertaining podcast that actually you'll learn something from too. Maybe and I'll your podcast is awesome, Scott, as well. I actually candidly did not listen to a bunch of episodes until I, we met last week and obviously to prep. Yeah, I know. But when I downloaded it, and it'll definitely be on cycle every week. I, I listen to podcasts I, and I warm up at the gym. So it's, it'll I definitely enter that, that, that habit. <laughs> That's how you get it out there, man. You yeah, just you sure. fly to Nashville, go to a conference, and then all of a sudden you got another download. So yeah, <laughs> maybe not the most scalable podcast growth strategy, but it works. Um, an, aer- an airplane okay. flight gets you one download. <laughs> yeah, that would, that's yeah. not very good. <laughs> Going back to economies of scale, I don't think it's a very good one. Yeah. Unless your average download is work. worth like a couple grand, that would be. Uh, that depends would be your a, downloads. Yeah, that's true. depends your downloads. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, if you could tell your 20 year old self one thing, what would it be? Don't be afraid. Like, well, first of all, you're young, so you should definitely start companies and be a lot more risky, even though I'm more risky now. And I talked about how we kind of de-risk that, but I'm being way more risky now than I ever was in the business world. And I should have been doing this when I was 21, 22 or whatever. In fact, in the music industry, our like fourth or fifth year in, we started having success. And when, when we started having success, I kind of shelled up or like, you know, balled up. And I, I was yeah. afraid to, you know, take advantage of that opportunity. And so, and now I have kids and I can't work, you know, all night because I've got to wake up with kid at 3 a.m. or probably 6 a.m. And, and I value sleep a lot more these days uh, because, again, I have kids. So, like, yeah absolutely go all in and like take a ton of risks because worst case scenario you max out a couple credit cards but you'll learn so much from that experience that even if you didn't want to do the entrepreneurship thing anymore any company any good startup would hire you in a heartbeat for six figures if if in fact you actually learned a lot of great skills like digital marketing skills or development skills or whatever very smart Um, and uh, last question what does success mean for you I mean, right now I'm just trying to get to total financial freedom, like FU status, like so I can yeah. do whatever I want to do. Uh, and then obviously that means I can take my family along that journey so that they have total financial freedom. I think success also changes as you go through stages of life. Like my 25 year old self would have said like, get married. My 21 year old self would have been like, success is like, getting drunk at a party and taking a girl home, you know, or whatever. Right. <laughs> I, th- I think it changes. So in my mid thirties, it's, I've built these digital marketing skills that I know I can leverage. We have, we have proof that we can scale companies. We've got something brewing here. Um, and my three to five year goal is to get total financial freedom. And then after that success will probably look different. Maybe it's traveling more with my family or something like that, but I'm solely focused on getting financial freedom right now. So success in a three to five year time frame would be total financial freedom. 
Amazing. All right, that's all I got, man. That's it. Those are cool. <laughs> that was good. That was very good. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. 
available nationally. Look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay. And what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Thank you so much, Indeed, for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 